Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Today's topic is skills to revolutionize your prayer life. It's a part one, explore the iceberg. I've been wanting to do this podcast for a very long time, and I'm so excited that you have joined me for this today. Now, Jerry and I spent 21 years working on skills or tools to help folks apply a biblical theology of loving God, ourselves, and other people into their lives. Uh, And actually, part two of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, uh, which is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships, is actually, as one pastor said to me recently, it's the secret sauce, Pete, isn't it, it, of all of EH discipleship? And it really is. Uh, Each of the eight skills that were developed over this 21-year period are quite revolutionary with many, many layers of depth theologically underneath them. But uh, each, this one, this week, Explore the Iceberg, and next week's as well, have power to revolutionize your prayer life. I don't say that lightly. So that uh, a a deep theology of Scripture gets into you and informs how you pray. This is not a small thing, but actually earth-shifting, impacting powers and principalities that keep so many of us and our people uh, in bondage and really freeing uh, the church and freeing people to be and do all that God has invited them and called them to be and do. So as you integrate emotions into your spirituality, uh, your capacity to discern God and know God just explodes. So I have a lot to say about how this applies to leadership and our prayer lives in particular, but I want to lay a foundation for the rest of this podcast by playing a 13-minute clip from the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course uh, on a session that is actually called Explore the Iceberg. And so Jerry and I will lay a really good foundation theologically and practically in that 13-minute clip. And then I'll come back uh, after that, and I'm going to then expound on it more deeply and widely from a leadership perspective on all the implications of that. Okay, so let's take it away now uh, and join us in this introduction of To Explore the Iceberg that comes out of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. The goal of Explore the Iceberg is to become aware of your emotions with the goal of processing them and discerning God's will. I thought I wasn't a feeler, I was solid, steady, and not emotional like the women in my family. Men could do anger, but they did not do weakness or vulnerability, sadness, or fear. I worked hard. I prided myself on being steady. Then I became a Christian at age 19, and I was taught what's now known as the caboose. Fact is first, faith is second, and feelings are last. I somehow picked up the message that loving people are never angry, nor sad, or afraid. We are just supposed to be nice all the time and happy. So I felt guilty when I was angry with people. I judged people who were sad or fearful. I mistakenly thought, you're not really spiritual if you're feeling depressed or sad. You must be weak or lacking in faith. And of course, I overemphasized joyfulness and being strong in Christ. I didn't understand that scripture teaches feelings are a key part of what it means to be a human being made in God's image. Throughout scripture, God expresses a whole range of emotion. God feels, he created us to feel too. That is what makes us human. 
In scripture, we find so many examples of people freely expressing their feelings before God. Rather than medicating their pain, denying it, suppressing it, they pour it out before God. For example, we have David, a man after God's own heart. He expresses the full range of emotions, from suicide to deep depression to rage to confusion to great joy. We have Job, who for 35 chapters, he's in anguish, he's angry, he's depressed, he's struggling. Then there's Jeremiah, a man of sorrows, who wrote a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. And then most importantly, think of Jesus. He shed tears, he was filled with joy, he felt overwhelmed with grief, he was angry, he was sorrowful, he was moved with compassion. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see a fully human Jesus, anguished, sorrowful, and spiritually overwhelmed. He is not an emotionally frozen Messiah, or is he shut down? So we have to ask ourselves, where did we get the idea that acknowledging and expressing authentic emotions is not spiritual? Why do we believe that we can or somehow should grow in spiritual maturity without at the same time growing in emotional maturity? It is a tragedy that so many Christians have divorced feelings from their spirituality like I did. You may be one of them, just like I was. And for me, it was always pretty easy to express positive emotions like joy, enthusiasm, playfulness, but difficult for me to admit emotions such as sadness, disappointment, anger, and shame. I remember being at church many times and smiling on the outside, but being very angry on the inside. I believed good Christians should not get angry. The Bible says the joy of the Lord should be your strength. So I had a lot of guilt about my anger and other difficult emotions. I just tried to ignore them. I didn't understand Ecclesiastes 3 that says, hey, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. There are times when we're happy and times for deep sadness. There will be times when we feel love and times when we feel hate. An analogy we use often in emotionally healthy spirituality is the iceberg. 10% of an iceberg is above the surface and visible while 90% is invisible and below the surface. The Titanic was fatally damaged by what was unseen. Human beings are like icebergs. 10% of us is seen, but there's a whole lot more to us below the surface that is unseen. Ken Burns, an American filmmaker, produced a documentary on Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our 32nd president. Roosevelt's life has some important lessons for us about icebergs. Roosevelt accomplished a lot of good for our country with things like the creation of Social Security, the GI Bill, unemployment compensation, preservation of parks, and his amazing leadership through World War II. But he wasn't a very integrated person. In other words, who he was on the outside was not who he was on the inside. For instance, Roosevelt never showed pain, and he had plenty of it, both emotionally and physically. For one thing, he had polio and wore extremely painful braces all the time. An aide once caught him grimacing in pain because of those braces, but he immediately changed his expression when she walked in the room. His family life was also extremely painful. He had a long affair with his wife's secretary, he and his wife, Eleanor, had no marriage, and their children rarely saw their father and felt abandoned by him. 
There were 19 divorces between his five children. Eleanor once said this about the state of the lives of her children. When I think about my children, I want to commit suicide. Franklin Roosevelt died prematurely at 62 of a cerebral hemorrhage. I suspect he was very unaware of his iceberg. That is, what was going on inside of him, in particular, his feelings. I relate to Roosevelt on certain levels. I like to get a lot done. I wanted to serve and help people. I wanted people to see me as strong, capable, loving, and spiritual. I definitely did not want to show any weakness, pain, or vulnerability. And like Roosevelt, I was not only hurting myself, but others. And like Roosevelt, I had no idea I had an interior world, or what we refer to as the iceberg. Even though I had low awareness of my interior world, there was plenty of stuff going on in there. Conflict, things such as rules against feelings, lying to myself, pretending everything was fine even when it wasn't, taking things personally, making innumerable assumptions about things and people, bad self-care, and bad interpretation of the Bible that believed denying feelings was the mature Christian thing to do. I have learned that you can do all sorts of things to avoid feelings. You can quit a job, you can go to another church, you can escape into pornography or other addictions, you can read more books, you can get new relationships, you can make more money, you can even pray or fast. But if you don't look inside of you, this is similar to just moving around the chairs on the Titanic to keep the ship from going down. As Jesus said, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out. Here are three truths about emotions. Unprocessed emotions don't die. Many of us are uncomfortable expressing certain feelings, so we find other ways to express them, like it worried me sick, or it broke my heart, or something was a pain in the neck. But unprocessed emotions don't die. They get buried alive. Why? because God created them to be paid attention to. If emotions aren't acknowledged properly, they will find a way to come out. First, they may go into your body in the form of insomnia, high blood pressure, panic attacks, cancer, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, weight gain, depression. Or secondly, they will leak out in things like sarcasm, defensiveness, tears, and a host of other ways. Remember, emotions are like an internal GPS system given by God to guide us, and they must be paid attention to. Secondly, healthy community requires people know themselves. We need to know our own feelings in order to love others well. We can't have authentic, healthy church communities without it. How can I enter your pain, your sadness, your hurt, your fear, your shame, if I don't enter my own. It's safe to say then, the extent to which I'm able to experience my own emotions is the extent to which I'm a loving person. Think about the implications of this for a small group. How am I going to tell you how I really am if I have no idea what's going on inside of me? The group goes around, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. 
So everybody is good, but then our community is not really any different than the world around us. Think about it. How can the world know us if we don't know ourselves? And then thirdly, feelings help us discern God's voice. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, wrote the classic work 450 years ago on the important place of our emotions in discerning God's will. And this was in a context of complete commitment to God to do God's will, follow scripture and seek wise counsel. The issue is not by any means to blindly follow our feelings, but to acknowledge them as a part, a significant part of the way God communicates to us. Therefore, it's important that we become aware of our feelings and ask, God, how are you coming to me through this? So for example, I opened an email once and immediately felt a reaction in my body. When I stopped to pay attention to the feeling, I realized the feeling was panic. I felt panic because I thought I was being criticized in the email. And I said, oh God, how are you coming to me through this? Upon reflection, I realized I needed to center myself again on God's love and not in what others think of me. And because of that, I am okay. And I can receive feedback, suggestions, and even criticism from others. Maybe you find yourself tearing up or feeling dread about a certain meeting you have to have. Ask yourself, how is God coming? We also pay attention to our passions and delights. Every time I leave New York City and step out into nature, I feel such exhilaration. It's so important for all of us to pay attention to our joys and our delights because our deepest desires are also God's desires for us too. A friend of ours was on a panel for spiritual formation. He was asked, what do you think keeps us from progressing in the spiritual life? He replied, when more attention is given to our outer world, that is things like tasks, programs, activity, at the expense of our inner world. He went on to say, we have an overdeveloped outer world and an underdeveloped inner world. Now, if we were in the actual session of the course, uh, we would then go into uh, an individual activity following this where I would read uh, four questions to you uh, out loud. And you'll be given actually two minutes for each question to write your answers in, in a space that's provided on a sheet of paper. And you'd write as much as you like around each question, drawing on the present, the recent past, or distant past. Distant past. And it really comes out of David in Psalms where David poured out his emotional life, his heart before the Lord. In fact, it's Psalm 62, trust in the Lord at all times, pour out your heart before him, wrote David. And uh, this was one of the beauties of David as a man after God's own heart, his ability to integrate his emotional life with his spirituality and prayer life with God. That's what makes the Psalms so compelling. And so, uh, in fact, I, we would invite you to actually in that session uh, in the course to actually do this as a spiritual practice of prayer uh, and uh, being open to anything God wants to bring to the surface. So uh, I'd ask you to close your eyes for a few moments before you actually start writing, and then I'd read the four questions to you. And you might just want to note these for later. Uh, the first question is, what are you angry about? What are you angry about? And you'd think present and or past. Whatever comes to your mind, what are you angry about? 
The second, you take two minutes for that. Uh, the second question would be, what are you sad about? And it could be something small, uh, maybe a small loss, a big loss, a, a disappointment, uh, maybe a choice that you've made that didn't go well, uh, something somebody said to you, list goes on. Third question is, what are you anxious about? Uh, what are you anxious about? What are, what are you fearful about? And again, this can go anything from money to your future, to your family, uh, health, job. Uh, and then the final question is, what are you glad about? Again, this could be anything like an opportunity, something around church, a relationship. Um, and uh, again, whether it's, it's, it's taking those four questions, again, to get people kind of started to feel in the presence of God. And you'd come out of that. And again, if we were in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course together, we would then you'd go into a, with a group, you'd go into a small group sharing uh, in groups of three or four. Or, and what was that individual activity like for you? What did you learn about yourself? And then asking, how did your family process and, or, or how did your family express anger? How did your family express sadness? How did your family express fear? And then how do you deal with anger and sadness and fear today? And you'd have a discussion about that because looking at your family of origin and how that's impacted you and your culture is all very important. And then finally, we'd come out of that and talk about a couple of things uh, in the course, such as you know difficult emotions that go unprocessed. They actually cover over pleasurable feelings. Uh, and then if we don't process our emotions well, uh, we end up leak, leaking them and, uh, you know, inflicting them on other people. And we just touch on how anger is, is more than a, is often a surface emotion. And that what's key when you're angry is to ask yourself two questions of what's behind it. Like, what am I afraid of? And what am I hurt or sad about? which is a much more vulnerable emotion. And so whenever you find yourself angry, you ask yourself those two questions. What am I afraid of, maybe? Or what am I sad about? And, uh, and so we actually, we, we then encourage people to, during the week, to at least two or three times, to actually practice Explore the Iceberg as part of their time alone with God, to get started in that. You may actually want to do it with a friend out loud. Uh, have them ask you the four questions. What am I mad about? What are you sad about? What are you fearful about or anxious about? And what are you glad about? Uh, and I would encourage you actually to even pray the Psalms. Uh, we encourage people to begin to pray the Psalms. I know I do. When I began to integrate feelings into my spirituality, uh, I began to pray the Psalms to help me uh, daily. And I used to pray all 150 Psalms. I must have leaned heavily on that for, I don't know, seven, eight, ten or more years, just using God's Word to help me to feel because I, I just didn't have that kind of permission or felt so much guilt around it. So. Uh, as you integrate this and uh, into your prayer life and your discernment, uh, it is just, it is revolutionary. Now, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I didn't do feelings uh, for the first 17 years of my Christian life. I wasn't allowed to do many feelings besides anger in my family growing up. But emotionally healthy discipleship expl exploded into Jerry's life and my life uh, when we began to feel before the Lord um, and I remember going back to my professors in seminary and graduate school and trying to understand how did I get to this place of being so, in a sense, cut off from that part of my humanity, so super spiritual. And uh, you know, two of my professors in particular had a big influence on me. And I remember um, I had one course uh, in seminary on, on Augustine. And uh, he said to us in the class at the time, and I went back to and reminded him of the statement. He goes, oh, you're, you're all Neoplatonists uh, because you're influenced by Augustine in the, in the fourth and fifth centuries. And, and basically Plato 
uh, this pagan philosopher several centuries before Christ, uh, the basic philosophy was the body is bad and the spirit is good. In other words, any aspect of our humanity that's not spiritual is suspect. Uh, and that includes emotions. In fact, emotions, if not sinful, are, are less than spiritual. Uh, and so this kind of was a big theme in the church. And it really came out of pagan philosophy. And so one of the early heresies in the church was something called docetism. And it was the belief that Jesus was not, never really was a full human being. Uh, in other words, he was, yes, he was fully God, but he wasn't actually a human. And this was declared a heresy at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD that affirmed that, no, Jesus, God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. The word became flesh and lived among us. And they defined Jesus's nature as, you know, he had two natures. He's fully God and fully human uh, without confusion and division. Uh, and, and, and that Jesus was fully in touch with humanity. And therefore, to be human is that we're to be fully in touch with our humanity. I remember a rabbi once said to me, you know, Pete, you're a pastor. Why are you Christians so hung up on sex? And uh, his point was, we don't have that within, you know, Judaism. And part of it, it goes back to Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And another Old Testament professor uh, really is the one who sat me down and illumined this for me. He says, Pete, you know, in the Hebrew sense, when it says we're made in the image of God, it means we're whole people, we're multifaceted people, that this wholeness of being God's image has different aspects to it. So, for example, we're spiritual beings, absolutely. He goes, we're also physical beings. Uh, God's made us social beings. God has made us intellectual beings, and God has made us emotional beings. These, they're all dimensions or aspects of what it means to be human. And if we're going to be do discipleship, we have to address all those broken parts of ourselves which are affected by sins, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, the social, and the intellectuals. Intellectual, And we put a huge emphasis on the intellectual. We don't put a very big emphasis on the emotional. And so a lot of unhealthy things result, they're actually inevitable when we fail to understand ourselves as whole people made in God's image. And this unbiblical mindset of not in a sense, respecting the dimensions of what it means to be made in God's image and our emotions is we end up seeing emotions like sadness and fear and anger, not even just less than spiritual, but actually as opposed to the spirit. And so we, we think if we shut down our emotions, that's actually a godly thing to do. If we stuff them or minimize them or ignore them or skip over them or de- repress them or deny them, uh, that's actually a spiritual thing to do. Uh, and an acceptable way of walking out our spiritual lives. In fact, many Christians are, are emotionally numb. They have little or no awareness of their feelings. And if I have asked them, how do you feel? They say, well, I think, uh, but their emotions are in deep freeze. And their body language or tone of voice and facial expressions maybe indicate that, yeah, there's some emotions going on there, but they're not aware enough to actually even identify them. Another way to look at this is we have a lot of people um, in our churches that are two-dimensional, not three-dimensional. A two-dimensional person is someone who's flat, simple, little depth, little serious thought or understanding. Again, the word is is flat. No width, no length, no depth. Uh, They got a lot of religion, a lot of religious practices. They know the Bible. They got a lot of beliefs. And I think of someone I I just talked to recently uh, who, again, very in touch with uh, Bible scripture, uh, quoting scripture, but very out of touch uh, with uh, her interior world and what was going on inside of her and the crises that were revolving around her life 
relationally, but again, quoting scripture and again, two-dimensional. Or uh, uh, another person I knew who's had a husband who had, who had a, a long affair for many years. And I'll never forget it. She, she forgave him instantly um, as if nothing happened. And, uh, and I remember looking at her saying, are you real? But you see, it's almost two-dimensional. Like the part of their humanity has been sliced off. But three-dimensional characters are complex. They're unique. They're, they got depth. They, they've got breadth, width. Uh, fully developed lives. They're real. They're authentic. They're they're fully orbed. They're grounded in their bodies. They're reflective. They n- everything's not in a neat box. They they hold on to tension. But sadly, our discipleship either enhances our humanity, which is what Jesus's intention is that we become more whole as human beings, or it actually re- it can re- we can get religious and it reduces our humanity because now we put like in a sense a a, a veneer of scripture on top of it without allowing it to penetrate us and, and mature us. I had a conversation recently with a pastor who was, who was physically exhausted, emotionally depleted by the demands of his leadership role. And his face, he's looking at the floor, his shoulders are slumped. He's, he's telling me all the stresses of the last few months. And I just invited him to listen to his feelings. And I suggested God may be speaking to him through them. And he looked at me like I had two heads. Because what are you talking about? He just had no way to connect to what he was experiencing emotionally and physically to his leadership or to his relationship with God. And honestly, he, he was miss- that pastor was missing out on a rich dimension uh, that, open- that could open him up to his relationship with Jesus uh, and his, you know, in his life. I love this. One of my favorite quotes comes from a, an old book called The Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. And here's what they said, you know, theologians. He said, Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, when we turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or engagement, in neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. For my first, my first 17 years as a Christian, I ignored the emotional component in my seeking after God. Uh, it didn't matter how many books I read, how many seminars I attended, how many years passed, whether it was 17 years or 50 more years, I would remain an emotional and spiritual infant until I acknowledged and began to integrate the emotional aspect of who I am as an image bearer of God because the spiritual foundation that I was building was cracked and there was no hiding it, especially from those who lived close to me. But let me just close with a few rich fruits that you can expect and you can look for as you begin to feel before the Lord. First of all, you will get to the treasure of your true self. We all come from families where, uh, you know, for whatever reasons in our childhoods, people who were, we, we have to repress or suppress our emotions to survive. Uh, but our God self is buried with him and God made you unique. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth. And listening to our feelings is a key, one very key element to becoming the unique man and woman, man or woman he has called you to be. I, I, I can't tell you what it, it just changed my whole life. I would get, I was 36 or 37 when I began to feel serious and it was, it was unbelievable. And I realized how much of my life I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. A second uh, gigantic gift or fruit out of learning to feel is 
uh, is what I touched, we touched on earlier in that, in that um, earlier section about Ignatius, that as I'm listening to my feelings, I'm able to listen to the Holy Spirit living inside, inside of me. The Holy Spirit's in our feelings. And Ignatius has done the greatest work on this in the 1500s. No one has done the work on how do I discern God's will through my feelings and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. He's not just outside. The Holy Spirit's in me. That's the glory of the gospel, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we begin to pay attention to the deepest longings of our heart. And uh, Ignatius talked about consolations. Again, what am I feeling great about? And so I, I'm, I'm praying before the Lord. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm listening to where there's joy and energy and life and love and what's causing my heart to get inflamed for God, what's lighting my soul up, what's and what's bringing me tears or maybe even anger about personal or societal injustices. And I'm listening to my body. I'm paying attention to you know, physical reactions. And, and uh, again, I'm listening to desolations. What's, what, what, could, what brings me a feeling of death or a, less energy and anxiety or strain or heaviness or turmoil? And so I'm listening to my physical, my physical body so often knows before my uh, mind. So a knot in the stomach or a tension headache or teeth grinding or clenched hands or sweaty palms or, you know, arms, you know, in, in that kind of position, of uh, you're not getting in front of me or neck tightness or foot tapping or insomnia. You know, I'm asking God, how, what are you trying to tell me? And sometimes God's trying to nudge me to make a different choice or warn me that something's wrong. But de- consolations, desolations are part of being human. You have feelings. It means you're alive. It means part of God's will is to take feelings into consideration and say, what are you trying to tell me? And uh, some of us, again, if we don't feel we're missing huge chunks of God's will because then we're unaware of our interior life. It's very dangerous for anybody's spiritual health, but especially for those of us in leadership. I have one mentor who said it beautifully. He says, Pete, feelings are like children when you are on vacation. You can't put them in the driver's seat or stuff them in the trunk. You have to listen to them, take care of them, protect them, and at times put boundaries around them. Well said. Another rich fruit of, of, of just integrating our emotions into our spiritual life is even how we read scripture. In other words, I'm listening. It's my, my time with God. I'm, I'm listening to, the, again, the, the consolations, the desolations, the feelings inside of me as I'm, as I'm in scripture. So, for example, even just this last two to three weeks, I've been studying the gospel of Mark and part of my morning prayer. And God keeps bringing me back to the section of Mark's uh, gospel where Jesus cleanses the temple. And he's appalled by the uh, fact that people's access to God is being impeded by the religious leadership. I hear it, and, and then he go, even goes to the temple, the first place he goes to Jerusalem, and for him, the most important place in the world, it's what is happening in the temple. And I, God just keeps bringing me back there, uh, and I just know I'm still there, and I, I'm just lingering. Again, I'm, I'm I'm continuing my study of Mark, but I keep coming back to that. And so I'm listening to the Spirit of God inside of me, my feelings and, and consolations and desolations. I, I, I pay attention to my, my sadnesses because I know that without integrating my sadness, it, it limits my own compassion for others. Again, it makes me a three-dimensional person. Uh, and even anger, as a, as a leader, you know, things make us angry. And, and so I, I, can't, I don't want to inflict my anger on people, um, but I want to be listening to God through it. Again, what am I sad about? What am I afraid of? But I journal. 
and I've used my journaling uh, of my anger so I can process it before I go and talk with someone, if I ever go to talk to them at all. I remember Abraham Lincoln used to write letters to his generals that drove him crazy, didn't obey his orders during the Civil War. He never mailed them, but he wrote them to get it out. And I think as leaders, it's so critical that we're feeling deeply, but we've got to manage them well because of the power that we're carrying as leaders. You know what? Another great fruit is if we're feeling honestly, we're, we're honest. We're honest with ourselves. We're honest with God. We're honest with others. Our, our, our life is clean. Our theology is clean. You can't build the kingdom on lies. We can only build it on truth. One of the beautiful things as we feel and learn to feel, we're rewiring our bodies. And lots of work's been done on this in the neurosciences, the neurochemistry of our brains, that God has wired us for transformation. Uh, and learning to feel and enter other people's worlds is one of the ways he transforms us. It's so powerful. So, you know, for this podcast, I want to invite you to take time each day and start with morning prayer and, and journal. What am I feeling before the Lord? And pour out your heart before him. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I glad about? And listen to the Holy Spirit. Lord, what are you saying to me through these things? How are you coming to me? You may want to get a spiritual director at some point, talk to someone who's more mature. But this is no small thing. This is earth shifting. This is, this is impacting powers and principalities that may keep us in bondage. So let me encourage you, you know, as we close here, that to, to actually go to uh, emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And there we have the, one of the first skills of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course called Take Your Community Temperature Reading. And we've made it available for free for you. And I want to encourage you to go to that uh, place and even learn that skill, take your community temperature reading. Again, go to www.emotionallyhealthy.org team. It's actually session one of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course because of these eight skills I mentioned earlier, one of which is Explore the Iceberg, they all build uh, in a very systemic way on each other and the Explore the Iceberg fits in with a larger whole. And so please receive that as our gift to you at emotionallyhealthy.org team. So thank you so much, uh, and the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you this day, and may you become a more fully orbed human being in, in the image of God, and may, again, your life be a gift to all those around you. God bless you. Have a great day. 